Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to this new episode of FEPS Talks. Today we are very glad of hosting uh, Anton Rob, former Prime Minister of Slovenia and former Vice President of the European Investment Bank. I'm David Rinaldi, Director of Studies and Policy. And if you will remain with us for about half hour, you will uh, listen comments and ideas about how the current uh, Uh, COVID crisis can impact convergence and inequality in Europe, as well as comments uh, and ideas on how the EU investment strategy should be perhaps revised in order to save us and relaunch the economy after the crisis. First and foremost, Mr. Rob, we would like to hear from you a sort of an assessment of uh, how do you see the problems of the ongoing uh, economic and social crisis uh, linked to the health uh, emergency? How serious uh, is it? How long uh, it will last? And where are the biggest difficulties? So thank you very much for having having me in uh, this uh, emission. So I'm very happy to have a possibility to say a few words about uh, this uh, latest unprecedented uh, crisis and uh, sure uh, i would i would say that this is something we haven't uh, faced uh, yet in the history of uh, uh, modern society uh, this is really something uh, huge and i mean impacts are so many and so comprehensive that we are going to deal with this crisis quite along the future. So for sure, uh, looking in the figures, uh, we know all that the latest uh, uh, Eurostat estimates uh, showed us uh, that the beginning of uh, serious COVID crisis, I mean, concerning uh, economy and economy in March 2020, we were facing increased level of uh, unemployment, which is crucial at the end of uh, the day. So unemployment rate in European Union was on the level of 7.4%. And uh, in just one month, we got additionally 240,000 unemployment uh, person. What is uh, much more serious, uh, some estimations for the year 2020. So there are very serious estimations with uh, figures about uh, 9 to 10 percent unemployment rate for the European Union, meaning that we can expect about 3 to 4 million additional unemployed persons in EU at the end of 2002. What is even more worried is that uh, differences among uh, EU countries are huge. So, for instance, on one side, we can expect in uh, Greece and in Spain unemployment uh, level at the end of 2020 around 20%, in Italy about 11%. But on the other hand, uh, there are some countries uh, which are not so much under this pressure of unemployment. I'm talking about, for instance, Germany, Austria, uh, Netherlands. Unemployment rates for them are estimated around 45 to 5%. So obviously uh, we are facing uh, 
quite uh, concerning unemployment level, not concerning nature of the crisis. Uh, we are facing almost the same situation as at the time of financial crisis after 2008. So huge differences inside of the EU countries. So there is no doubt we can, uh, in some areas of Europe, more we go to the south, more we can expect these negative trends. We can expect uh, huge level of social exclusions, inequalities and poverty. And there is no doubt we are going to deal with those uh, problems for many uh, years. So I would say that the main challenge uh, right now for Europe uh, is uh, how to relaunch uh, European economy. And uh, what I see as uh, obstacle is that uh, after extraordinary public intervention we were facing uh, at the beginning of uh, crisis, we already have countries with the burden of the debt and uh, with limited possibilities to intervene. So one cannot expect that we can solve those uh, problems and challenges uh, just on the base of uh, state and country's policies. Obviously, we need huge, massive European Union plan how to relaunch uh, economy. And if we do not have... Uh, in the scheme of uh, this plan, uh, quite clear uh, feel rouge of EU solidarity, we cannot expect very successful relaunching of the economy. You have indeed touched upon very relevant issues, uh, but before digging into the last point of your answer, which is a meaningful and far-reaching European answer, two things that you mentioned are uh, important and I would like to dig a little bit uh, on sure. them and ask you to expand. One is related to the heterogeneity of European countries and the other one on the exceptionality of the state intervention. So let's start perhaps with the differences and heterogeneity of European member states. You have clearly identified that different member states, they didn't enter in the health crisis with similar conditions uh, and they are not going to come up out in similar conditions either. Uh, what is the threat that actually we are having in terms of convergence yeah. for Europe? Because we know that particularly the Economic and Monetary Union rests on the fact that countries, economies uh, move together. How crucial it is to invert uh, this trend of progressive divergence? I mean, the fact is that figure shows us that uh, after previous crisis, uh, we were facing a deep process of divergences among uh, EU countries. On, on one side, we had uh, North uh, EU countries, the most developed countries with stable economic growth, not so huge uh, decreasing of economic growth and economic level at the time of crisis. And uh, we had countries with uh, deep downturn and uh, huge divergence processes and they have uh, needed quite a lot of time to went out of this whole previous crisis. So we can say that uh, 2017 uh, we saw some figures uh, which uh, were a little more optimistic for those countries. So immediately, almost immediately after they went out of the previous processes and fighting uh, to face stable economic growth, they, uh, you know, dropped down. So went uh, 
additionally into the new crisis, quite a different one. So we have the same and quite big differences as we had after the last crisis. And now we went into the next crisis and downturn. So we can expect really huge differences and huge pressures of those less developed uh, EU countries, less successful EU countries comparing to the most developed. And we can see that uh, within discussions between ministers of finance, between the most developed and less developed countries and so on. We have not totally the same discussion as we had uh, during last crisis, but there are some similarities. So the basic similarity is that you know, the most developed, they do not want to pay check for the less developed and the less developed, they cannot afford them to go to, out of the crisis. So how to solve this uh, problem? I mean, probably the only advantage is that the most developed countries at this point of time, they, not, they, they cannot say that the reason of crisis is inside of those uh, less developed countries since it's quite obvious that we have external factor of crisis. So probably this, this is some kind of advantage comparing to the previous period. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, we have huge differences and uh, we are going to address those figures. We have to address those figures. Even if you check uh, fiscal stimulus uh, packages in different kinds of countries, you see these huge differences with these emergency stimulus uh, packages, not uh, relaunching economy measures. You see, for instance, uh, the level of uh, state involvement uh, in these stimulus packages in Germany or in France at the level of 5%. And then you have, for instance, in Italy, just level of 1.5%. So at the beginning, there are huge uh, differences. So what we can expect later on when we need much more huge amount of uh, financial sources and much more effective and long-term orientated measures. So we have very serious challenge in, in front of us. If I interpret uh, your words, therefore, you are describing a situation in which somehow the countries that entered uh, in better condition sure. uh, will, will also have better measures to redress their uh, economy and their social economic situation. If you take in account just, for instance, interest rates, it's quite obvious it's the same. It's a very, you know, for the most developed, so interest rates are very low, even negative. So how the financing, whatever stimulus are from the point of view of those states, is much more cheaper and much more easier because they have financial sources, they have potential and they can go in uh, comparing to the less developed countries and southern countries with not the same rating, if we do not find common instrument that we are talking about at European-wide, then we are going to face huge differences in prices of financing of this relaunching of economy and in financing solutions for the situation we are in. So I would not be very uh, optimistic about the possibility for solutions in short term or in one, two, three years if we do not find some common instruments and not just partial instruments uh, we can see and we are talking about around. We have seen the Commission put forward this uh, proposal for a sure, a temporary loans to pay for the short-term employment uh, arrangements in member states, but the real uh, unemployment insurance scheme at the European level is still not clearly in the, in the pipeline. Yeah. And that is certainly not giving to European member states a lot 
lot of room for counter-cyclical measures. But uh, if I try to interpret what you said, that we need somehow to understand that there should be a European strong response to help also those countries that are unable to have a broad and solid response as Nordic or continental countries. And you also appealed, and I've heard many other appeals, to solidarity. Do you think that actually it should be solidarity, the prisma for European economic integration, or we should instead focus our attention on the fact that this type of convergence is actually essential to the well-being of the economy of the Nordic and the continental countries. So in the sense that besides solidarity, what would be the advantage for, let's say, Netherlands, Finland, Germany, to help Europe having solid response that can uh, redress the economy. I mean, always when we we have such discussions inside of EU, it's quite obvious that uh, usually uh, governments, they usually see short-term aims and tasks and uh, they are not uh, prepared to talk uh, quite a lot about long-term perspectives. Uh, from that point of view, it's quite obvious that uh, uh, it's huge advantage for all EU countries from the long-term perspective if you if we have convergence process in all EU countries, if we have solidarity, uh, enough solidarity mechanisms to, to fight with poverty, social exclusion and so on in those countries, to limit uh, corruption in those countries, to have sustainable development at the end of the day, we are talking about a common market and a common future for all democratic uh, countries inside of uh, the EU. But from the short term, for sure, they have their own obstacles. And, uh, you know, Trump would say America first. And sometimes uh, they do not say, for instance, uh, our country first, don't want to say any country uh, specifically, but uh, basically they act like First, my country, then I talk about other potential, but very limited uh, measures. And uh, we should take in account this fact when we talk and about new solutions and possibilities to find those solutions. Then we should take in account, you know, both sides, also the most developed and try to find uh, some what is, what is usually very necessary inside of the political uh, social environment. The other aspect that I wanted to touch upon is exactly that state intervention. You made the point that that is uh, at the moment an exceptional situation. And that was uh, also in part during the economic and financial crisis. But now we see basically a complete new role of the state, not only uh, in its legitimacy to intervene into the economy, something that Social Democrats have advocated quite a lot on the necessity of a strong role of the state as uh, with somehow a counter-cyclical function, as well as in driving the economy towards better social and environmental outcomes, health-related outcomes. And now it appears that maybe this view can become the majority, or at least it can be supported by more political and uh, economic actors. But on top of the role of the state on the economy, there's also a role of the state vis-a-vis its citizens, in the sense that we are facing a situation in which we are limiting the freedoms, uh, freedom of of movements, freedom of uh, economic activity, 
uh, how do you see uh, actually the intellectual thinking about uh, the role of the state? What are the changes that are uh, only temporary? And what can instead be a mentality or a paradigm change that is uh, bound to remain with us even after the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, uh, this pandemic crisis uh, for sure has also some impacts uh, which are quite useful because we can learn quite a lot of you know from this uh, very serious deep and unprecedented uh, crisis this crisis showed us again that uh, a role of state in modern societies is incredibly important you can see now very closely how important modern welfare state is how important it is to help solidarity. We all see how important efficient uh, public healthcare system is. I, many years ago I was dealing with healthcare reform and we had you know this discussion you know to have public healthcare system, private uh, healthcare system and usually you have black and white picture you know so, so some would advocate that uh, should be private because it's more efficient and uh, less cost and so on. On the other side, usually progressive forces, uh, we try to defend, we fight for public healthcare uh, system. So, and why we fight? So that we ensure everybody to have access to healthcare services. So, I mean, this is one aspect of this crisis, uh, which is quite uh, clear cut that uh, we should never forget on efficient modern welfare states from the point of view of all aspects and we should talk all the time about that and try to find better and better way of how to build up this efficient uh, uh, modern welfare state. On the other side it's quite obvious and we can see from the practices in countries that for sure governments can always have temptation to extend their competencies in the in the areas uh, where uh, this is something but it's not uh, acceptable basically they can limit people to move sometimes there there are quite a lot of logics behind to do that sometimes they they do too much we can see in some countries that uh, some government would like even to limit press and uh, media and so on so there are some movements behind uh, not just uh, we cannot say that those uh, are in the direction of a democratic society and so on so we have to watch out to to have all the time this equilibrium on one side is modern state, on the other side, you know, that we are always in position to scrutinize our governments, to have a control mechanism of democratic uh, system. So uh, we should have also in this situation uh, some kind of balance. Mr. Rob, thank you a lot. Uh, you hold an uh, important position as a Minister of Finance and Prime Minister of Slovenia, as well as uh, Vice President of the uh, EIB. I think, therefore, you are um, very well entitled to express uh, your opinion on what should be done with European money. So you have both the national and the European perspective. Therefore, you can tell us easily how the Europe can do in terms of investment strategy. Where do you see the EIB, the Commission and the European Central Bank acting? In which sector and which which type of policies uh, would you recommend? Bart? For sure, uh, many aspects 
of, of uh, this challenge uh, we are facing right now on the level of EU, uh, one can see quite a lot of different kinds of articles uh, with very important authors and they are suggesting different kinds of uh, uh, proposals uh, with different kinds of uh, technical solutions and so on. Uh, so there are many possibilities according to the literature and uh, but on the other side we have politics, uh, we have uh, ministers of finance, different kinds of countries, differences in countries and many limitations concerning uh, instruments uh, we can use. So to, to start, so first I would say there is no doubt. The most serious part from the economic part of you and social part of you of this crisis is uh, how to relaunch the economy in the aftermath of the emergency. So if, if we have already skipped, uh, I hope we skipped over those uh, first phases concerning emergency, you know, short term measures and so on. Now we have to prepare this uh, development uh, phase for the Europe as a whole. So how to do that? And then we can talk also about that in which areas and sectors to start and uh, to invest and uh, what kind of deal we should have. Uh, for instance, some authors uh, advocate uh, that we should uh, prepare Euro European uh, Green Deal and then according to this deal, uh, we should include measures and then we push for the whole Europe. So for sure, there is a very uh, extended discussion about the bonds, so-called some authors say they are coronavirus, COVID virus bonds or whatever uh, bonds on the level of uh, EU and uh, we and uh, there are different kinds of possibilities how to issue those uh, uh, bonds, should we do that uh, with together with uh, European Investment Bank, should we do that through uh, European Stability uh, mechanism, should we do that through, uh, through European Commission. So there are many ideas and those, many of those ideas are very, very good and I would sign all of them or many of them. But uh, the fact is that I'm not so sure that we can reach uh, agreement about the possibilities. So I will do some kind of combination, so uh, so of different kind of proposal. On one side, there is a European stability mechanism and financial services inside of this mechanism, which are usually under huge link to the conditionality process and usually not very well acceptable by the countries because nobody wants to have, again, troikas in different kind of uh, countries and I do not see any reason why to have those troikas. So basically uh, we should relax criteria and mechanism of European uh, stability mechanism as the instruments. That that can be one line. I'm talking now about the you know different kind of financial engineering mechanism one can use inside of EU. So yeah. the second one I wanted to stress, just allow me this, I, I know that we do not have enough time, but nobody has thought about project bonds. The, the simplest uh, solution if we get political uh, consensus would be just bonds and then we go, as we can see in the literature proposal and so on. But something in between can be project bonds. In the past, EIB has already got uh, this task to, to develop uh, project bonds. I was part of that. 
and uh, this financial engineering concerning project bonds was quite complicated and I have to stress not very successful. So what the problem with project bonds was at the end, project bonds were used in the countries they do not need, as a matter of fact, project bonds because they have also other financial services. So in, in Germany, in Netherlands and so on and so forth. So I was fighting at that time that we should introduce also those project bonds in the uh, less developed countries or in, uh, in those countries in the middle. So we tried that, but were not successful. But that was part of construction of project bonds. It's a little complicated, Tima, but can use EIB together with development banks in, in, in the countries and with, the, and that's something what is part of solidarity, with guarantee potentials of the all EU countries, but not for the bonds as the bonds, which would be sources for the budget funds in the countries, but uh, project bonds, which would be based for financing very concrete infrastructure projects in those countries. So it would not be necessary to involve in this scheme so much private capital as we did in the past. So with new scheme of project bonds, probably we would successfully support one part of this large scale, scale plan uh, for investment in infrastructure on the level of EU and in all EU countries. So we would uh, pick up case-by-case uh, case projects and we would uh, have lower level of risk of uh, not so effective using of this uh, uh, money we would have in the case of uh, usual uh, much more simple instruments as, as COVID virus bonds. So that's one of the directions. So probably I would combine, I would use for infrastructure project bonds, I would use European stability mechanism for some investments in some uh, areas which are necessary and also for financing some of the countries for financing projects uh, further on, but that would, uh, uh, to do that, uh, necessary would be first to add capital to the European uh, Investment Bank, but not so much because with the uh, European Investment Bank we can leverage uh, amount of money and we can have catalytical effect. And at the same time, would, I would use the European uh, stability mechanism to use some part of necessary needs and for sure what we need uh, with all of this also role of European central bank and uh, they we should think or, or they should think how we would involve uh, e ECB as a buyer of uh, those bonds. The last questions and then we then we resume. Sure. Um, you are basically calling for a, um, a recovery fund that is constructed as a sort of collection of different project bonds. So something that already exists in Europe so we just have to if you want to scale it up, but you have reflected uh, exactly on the design of these uh, project bonds that are uh, that somehow they do need the market. They do need a healthy private sector to work. How can we design or put forward the instrument, maybe revised project bonds or enhanced project bonds that are able to also finance a type of expenses that don't have an economic uh, return 
and also finance something that does not necessarily uh, give uh, somehow uh, that is not exactly a loan, but it can have a, a, can have a substantial grant component. Because the difficulty here is not only to relaunch the uh, economic viable activities, but also to find ways in which uh, somehow we uh, create opportunities and relaunch the market, if you want, uh, create business uh, development where it is lacking. Uh, and uh, can this type of instrument be, uh, be, be valuable? Yeah. yeah, sure. So I'm not talking about that. Uh, we can find out one mechanism and use for all kinds of purposes. I'm just saying that uh, there are different kinds of possibilities and needs. So uh, if if we can create uh, so uh, and redesign uh, European project bonds, I believe that uh, financing would be much easier. So when you finance uh, infrastructure, you do not calculate yields as usually for other uh, private companies. Usually we are talking about long term. Uh, prospects uh, we can combine, you know, we are talking about financial engineering. So uh, even project bonds can have different kinds of guarantees behind and can be combined also with different kinds of, of loans, of domestic loans. Uh, 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 I mean, also international financial institutions, uh, uh, loans and so on. Uh, at the time of a previous crisis, I don't know if you remember, uh, we had uh, so-called Vienna Initiative, you know, and this initiative was a proper one for that time. It was inside of EU, so there was meeting in Vienna, all international financial institutions and also private banks, and uh, they uh, basically decided to support economy as they could. So the problem of this initiative was that every bank and every institutions put on the table what they already have, and they, they added just slightly some additional financial sources. So I, I don't believe that this is something what is sufficient for now. But what I'm talking about is that we should combine together with redesigned uh, uh, European project bonds, uh, also other possibilities, as I said, for sure. We should check budget of uh, European Commission and, and see what kind of role we can find for different kind of structural funds and different kind of, of grants. And we have to restructure uh, probably uh, those expenditures and uh, to put new priorities we are facing. That's uh, for sure, but with combination of grants and loans and bonds and uh, all kinds of financial possibilities, uh, it would be much easier to find final solution and uh, also consensus on the level of EU. That's what I'm thinking about. Because the easiest way is to say, okay, let's issue uh, bonds, EU bonds, and then uh, we have additional financial sourcing and uh, we get European Central Bank, they buy all those uh, uh, bonds uh, from the uh, from the state, we get uh, sources and basically uh, we finance everything. I, I do, do not believe that we can find so easy solution, that solution at the end should be proper one, should be effective, not just solution because of the solution, but probably we can also not find, you know, general solution for everything. Dear Mr. Rob, 
thanks a lot for sharing with us uh, your insights, uh, particularly your call for a strong uh, European response uh, that can offset uh, the negative impact of the crisis on European convergence, as well as your invitation to um, focus on the on the type of expenditure that we can have. Uh, so basically more a mutualization of the expenditure than a mutualization of debt based on the instruments that we already have and that we can uh, scale up. Thanks a lot for your contribution. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. To the next FAPS talk. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.